Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hayward doesn't push it ahead. He maintains the dribble. Now breaks at the 45. Toward the glass. No, Gobert from about three feet out. Grabs the rebound. Reaches out and packs it. It is locked on Jazz for the 22nd of July. The Jazz have the same defensive flexibility and options we talked about offensively. Some really interesting pack detail done by our main man, and the NBA pulls the all-star game from Charlotte, the long-term ramifications of that action. Those are all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. So great to have you aboard. Thanks very much for tuning in. Uh, really appreciate all of the five stars that you uh, throw out there and, and give the show. I uh, hope you, I know the show was a little limited this week. Give you three shows instead of the usual five. A good one on favors on Wednesday and then yesterday about our offensive uh, versatility. We'll try to get into the defensive uh, versatility a little harder to define uh, for you. Also, Garrett Jensen, who uh, hopefully you know that name. He's really become a valuable resource to the show. He's the one who went through and did some all-time pack stuff for us. Uh, we'll probably start digging into some of that in the upcoming weeks when we have less and less time. Uh, he's really he's really done amazing stuff and work for us. He did some more um, about trying to use pack to predict wins, and I'm going to get that for you. And then the NBA with a huge statement of moving the All-Star game out of Charlotte. Uh, so check on that. This is Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked, this is where the podcast network kicks in. Locked On Hornets has an interesting show that has been posted about the reaction in Charlotte uh, to losing the All-Star game. Uh, you might want to check that out. Really interesting. Uh, Locked on Thunder has been having a regular guest with ESPN's Royce Young. Uh, he's really, really good. So that's a nice one uh, there. Western Conference looks you might be interested in. Locked on Rockets. Ben does a nice job looking at the moves. Prigioni over Jason Terry has been the choice there. And some mailbag work uh, as well. And Alonzo G has filled out the Pelicans roster. And uh, good work there by Brett Dawson on, on Locked on Pelicans. He really does a wonderful show. So lots of things up uh, in that regard uh, all across the board. Let's get straight to uh, what we like to call pins across the world. It's you sharing your story of how you became a jazz fan and where you're listening from uh, and tell your story of how you got attached to, to the jazz, the NBA, maybe even locked on jazz along the way. Today, it comes from Tim May. Uh, in, he's in Amsterdam. Uh, in our first interaction, you hung up on me as I called in what was, I was surely an overzealous and ultimately weak take on your 570 radio show in Salt Lake City. This is in the early 90s. Uh, are we that old? Yeah, this is probably 93, 94. 
Wow, we are that old, 22 years ago. As time went on, my jazz fandom and game knowledge improved to the point that instead of booting me from your show, you rewarded my efforts with game tickets on a few occasions. A highlight from that year was meeting the jazz at the airport in 97 after Stockton hit the shot. I'm sure if I were to get back, uh, get the time back that I spent rooting for the jazz over the decades, I probably could have done a lot of good in the world. But deep inside, I know the jazz really, really need me. My wife begs to differ. One of my three kids is an avid jazz fan. The aforementioned spouse is thrilled that I have not been able to recruit the other two. I'm writing from my temporary home in Amsterdam, where I've listened to the podcast while biking along the canals of this singular city. I listen daily and appreciate how the podcast connects us in a way that feels more intimate than a radio program. I love the details, like there won't be a podcast tomorrow because I'm at my daughter's golf tournament. Well, you got that twice this week. You feel more like a friend than a guy with a podcast. Your passion is unparalleled. Your effort is unmatched. Thanks for being such a spark plug and feeding our happy addiction as members of Jazz Nation. I'm beyond stoked to see what Coach Quinn can do with his team and Dennis is assembled. Tim in Amsterdam. P.S. Don't read this. Don't don't worry, Tim. I didn't read it. Ah! All right, that's Tim May. Uh, he's our pin across the world, and he is in Amsterdam. All right, I got a question, uh, and I'm gonna use it as our our tip off lead story of the day today from a from a fan who just said, "Okay, I love the show yesterday. Um, that was that was awesome. Now, what about?" Can, can the Jazz do the same thing defensively? And, and I think the hope really is yes. And there are about uh, a few reasons. Uh, one is in the post. The feeling is that, uh, that Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors will be able to play, when healthy, 48 minutes a center. And if they don't, then you're going to be able to play uh, with Jeff Withy if someone's injured. And so in that sense, it's really, uh, that's an incredibly positive uh, spot. One, is just defensively, in that regard, you're going to be able to handle it. You have probably, in your basic rotation, you have average to above average defenders other than Boris Diaw, who does it with smarts, and so he might be average. But let's, he's getting older. Let's call him below average. Uh, and Trey Lyles. So you're going to have to figure out how you're protecting those two a little bit. There also might be times where you just play lineups that you believe to not be productive defensively and understand that a little bit. So in the front court, with Gobert and Favors' ability to switch, to cover ground, uh, I think you have... You really you have fabulous possibilities uh, to be able to defend in different manners. You can drop Gobert's a big. You can press him on a pick and roll. You can blitz a pick and roll. With favors, you can switch one through four. He's shown that ability. Only LeBron and Curry were able to beat him last year. So there's huge, huge versatility defensively in what this team can do. Offensively, uh, or excuse me, defensively in the front court. This is where they should be tremendous. Uh, Hayward's a well-above-average defender. Hill's a well-above-average defender. Dante's a well-above-average defender. Rodney's probably just on the average scale of things. Um, I'd have to look at some of the defensive real plus-minus numbers and try to figure out whether or not, um, you know, whether or not those back up my eye test uh, entirely on those players, but I, I would think so. Uh, is kind of from looking at it the last few years, I feel pretty comfortable 
with that. George Hill was the 14th best uh, real minus defensive point guard in the league last year. I, I, I would actually argue I think he's probably um, a little better than that. Uh, when you when you just kind of look at also some of Pablo Prigioni's ahead of him, that's just a low sample size. The year prior, he was not. He was ranked as a little less good um, defensively. So you, you'll have to figure out uh, whether you still think that to be true. Uh, but I, I think that's a – Ronnie Price is ranked in there, and Ronnie Price, you know, doesn't probably put out enough time on the floor uh, to really judge that. Rodney's a little bit of a question mark on where you – believe him. I know some people are kind of worried about Rodney's defense. I'm not particularly. I think with his length and his smarts and the way he game plans uh, that he's all right. He ranks of all shooting guards. He does rank 50th with a negative uh, defensive plus minus last year, which is not great. Alec Burks has not shown um, to be a defensive player to match his athletic skill uh, yet in this league. I think that's uh, I think that's one thing to, to drop in here. Uh, Gordon, if I remember correctly, did not have a very good defensive real plus minus year last year, which if you actually watch the games is not true. And other teams, small forwards simply don't score on him. Uh, so that's, that might, I might be a year off on that, but if that's, that was my memory. Uh, so I still think those are, and, and here's, you know, what you really have now uh, with Dante, with George Hill, with Gordon, you could put those three, out there, Gordon actually was the 34th real plus minus at, at average. Uh, you could put those guys out there defensively. Uh, I'm not sure it's your best scoring lineup, and you could match across the board any defensive uh, lineup because George Hill's going to cause you know other than probably the Warriors, right? But if you if you're playing the Spurs and George Hill's guarding Tony Parker, he's going to give him a hard time. If you're playing uh, Danny Green, and you put Dante and Danny Green's got the length to match him, and then you throw Gordon over on Kawhi Leonard, he's going to do as good a job as anyone is on Kawhi. Kawhi's probably going to be fine on that, uh, but he's just, you know, he's just that good. Uh, when you, you know, can George Hill or Dante chase J.J. Redick while the other one is guarding um while well, the other one is guarding Chris Paul, and then they don't really have a small forward, so now you actually can kind of drop Gordon Hayward off, or if Rodney's getting the minutes at that point of the game, you're all right because they don't have a, a really high-scoring small forward. So you start walking down the list of teams, and you you can really match. The Jazz can match up. Minnesota probably causes as much problems if they're going with Dunn, Rubio, Levine, and Wiggins, and Hayward goes and guards Wiggins, or at times, frankly, Dante's long enough to guard Wiggins, George Hill's probably physical enough to guard Wiggins if you need to. So the Jazz have incredible versatility of who they can match individually. And then part two of that with the similar size of Hill, Exum, Hood, Burks, and Hayward with any of those players and Joe Johnson included, you can switch it across the board. You can switch everything that's going on one through three on down screens in the source and not ever be at a disadvantage. So there's, it's fair to believe that the versatility this roster has built might actually be better uh, defensively than it is offensively. That, that's where things get really, really exciting about this upcoming season, and that's why uh, I think all of us are, are as excited uh, as we are about it. This is the spot where there's usually a little advertisement, and you can be that spot if you email me at dlock09 at gmail.com, uh, dlock09 at gmail.com. 
dot com uh, is uh, how you can do it. Uh, love to have your company as part of the show and love to have you uh, be a part of, of Locked On Jazz or if you want to be a part of any of the network stations. Uh, jazz season tickets for this year are on sale now. 44 games and the upper bowl start at $6. Lower bowl start at 40 $2 a game. And by the way, if you buy Jazz season tickets, you get an eight-day, seven-night stay in Mexico. I don't know all the details. I do know that airfare is not included. Um, I do know that uh, Vivante Resort is the spot uh, that is, is hosting you uh, from that. So we, we really, really appreciate them. And uh, – yeah, I think you have to check, make sure. I don't know all the details on this, but if you get, if you buy two season tickets, you get two eight days, seven night stays uh, in Mexico in at Vivante Resorts. Really an incredible, incredible deal. So give a call today at 801-355-DUNK at utahjazz.com. You get obviously exclusive events. You keep your seat location to the playoffs. It's great. If that's too much, uh, quarter season and half season ticket plans are available. The Warriors come twice, so if you do the half price, you'd get one of the two. I'm certain of it. And uh, worth checking, by the way, here's a little note for you. Uh, Often if you buy a half season or a quarter season, I don't know if this is true either, but this is in the past because I've done this. Uh, You buy a half season or a quarter season, they'll let you uh, buy single game seats maybe, I think, prior to the rest of the public. So if you think about that for a second, you buy the half game at 22 and you want to make sure you get the Cavaliers and the Warriors both times, and maybe you buy those extra ones uh, to get into those ball games. Um, or, you know, I didn't say this. Certainly, I didn't say this. You buy the Warrior ones and you sell them to pay for the whole package, because they're going to be. That's going to be such an incredible demand. I did not say that. I didn't. You, if if anybody ever asks if I said that, that's not true. All right, let's get to uh, this. I love Garrett. Garrett's become one of my favorite people. There are people out there that deserve huge shootouts. Garrett Jensen uh, deserves a huge shootout, shout-out. And uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to another guy who I, I've just – I really have never um, – I think I've – you know, I've really never talked to, met, like, like spent great time with. Uh, but Ellis Miller is a local guy that's a listener to Locked On Jazz who's doing all the logos uh, for the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, the Locked On Podcast Network is really your guys' creation. Your support, your belief in Locked On Jazz allowed me to have the faith to go to take this on a national level and, and create it. And so uh, I appreciate that. So Garrett Jensen has done a bunch of work uh, trying to figure out whether you can project pack into um, into how wins work. Um and then also when they fade. So the first thing he did that I thought was incredible, and poor Garrett sends me this stuff, and then what I end up doing is always responding with, what about this? And then he has more work to do. So he did a really interesting thing. Of all players, the rookie average on pack uh, is negative. I always say that. Like, don't worry about the rookie players. Um, they're, they're negative. Um, and he went and has figured out that exactly what the rookie average is on pack, uh, which which is fascinating to me. And uh, so it's a it's a it's a uh, I don't can't see it right in front of me uh, right now, but it's it's negative. Um, 
uh, overall, the rookie pack numbers are, are slightly negative. So when you project and put in uh, those numbers, you, you get a, you actually get a negative, um, and that's not surprising. He then went through and looked at how players jump. So year one to year two is the largest average jump in a pack player, and year two to year three is the next. The average player jumps a their pack rating uh, from the negative to uh, plus point two three in pack in the first two years as a player. By year five, their pack starts to fade and really fades in year seven and year eight of their career, which is really much earlier than I anticipated. So I sent that back to him, and he ran it then for players who play 400 career games. And this is what I thought was really, really interesting, probably important for Dante, but also for a lot of players, is players who play a minimum of 400 career games Remember, I said the average player's pack jumps. And, and let me stop quickly. For those of you who don't know what pack is, I'm sorry, this is really bizarre. Pack is points above average created. It's a metric that I use to judge every offensive player. The concept of it is that if you take 10 scoring opportunities a night, uh, with those 10 scoring opportunities, the average player in the league would score about 10.2 points. If you score 10.7, 11 points, your pack rating is then plus. If you're scoring 11, your pack rating is plus 0.8. Uh, if you're, the, the best 7, 8 players in the league have a pack rating over 2. The best 35 players or so have a pack rating over 1. The average is 0, and anything below 0 is, is a below average offensive player in the league. And the best is Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, who are now on the same team. So that's how pack works. It's the way we judge offensive players on the show. So here's what's fascinating. As I said, the year one and year two are the biggest jumps. They combine for a .23 jump. The players who play a minimum 400 career games jump on average .54 in that period. So if you're a rookie player and year two your pack doesn't jump and year three you're you're not, it's not happening. 0.54 is the average jump of players who end up playing 400 career games in the career. And actually, I'd have to go back and look. I think Trey Burke actually did that. Uh, he was so, so bad his first two years. He improved, and so he'll probably survive. Even those players, year five, they start to decrease. Year six, year seven, they drop off. Year eight and year nine, there's the cons- kind of a considerable drop off that players really on their pack ratings, have hit their peak after the fifth year in the NBA. The jump is just more considerable early on in their careers. And it's, and it's larger. And then it starts to fade year 5, 6, year 6, 7, year 7, 8, year 8, 9. Uh, it's interesting. It, ma- it makes a large statement to kind of having players in those years 3 through 5 where they're peaking now, hopefully they've peaked high enough that they're still above average. That doesn't mean you don't want those other players. It's just you can't expect an upturn from a lot of those. So Favors probably stays right about where he is. Hayward probably stays right about where he is. Rodney's got another uptick. Um, and, and worth noting on Rodney, you know, probably should go take a look at how big an uptick he took from year one uh, to year two. All right, here's the next part. Uh, he used the final standings and a couple of other ESPN stats from 2003 to 2016, to look at a team's pack rating and what it related to their win total. 
This is awesome. And he came up with a formula for the team's pack. A team with a cumulative pack of zero would win about 30 games. For example, the worst pack team in this since 2003 was the 15-16 Lakers with a negative five pack. And the model uh, approximates them at 19 wins. They ended up winning 17. And he has a bar graph. There are a few outliers here and there. But it's generally a pretty darn good look of where your team pack is. A um, couple of the biggest mix mixes or misses excuse me were teams that had very low points per game allowed which meant that they didn't have to be um, as good offensively he went and projected the jazz uh, next year and we had a discussion on how many players uh, he should use I thought he might have used too many Um, I think he used all 15 I might argue used 10 here might be an argument used 12 due to injuries and um, so he went and looked, and with the Jazz 16-17, which is interesting is the pack points them out to about a 41-point, as just an average D kind of points allowed team, as about a 42-41 win team. However, they have an upper end of 60. Um, and I'd have to talk to him a little bit more to understand. Oh, here's the rookie rating, by the way, on average pack is .08. There's, that's where it was. Um, I'd have to understand a little bit more from him on how he figures this out. Um, but the Jazz average pack uh, is sitting around 41 wins, which I would guess means their, aver- their pack combined as a team is about four. Uh, and, and so they're projected out at actually about 41 or 42 wins. Uh, so unless they're elite, elite defensively, uh, they're going to jump. Now, he ran the pack for the Warriors and the cumulative pack for the Warriors in sixteen seventy. He doesn't tell me, by the way, in this email what the cumulative pack for the Jazz is. He just kind of projects their wins. The cumulative pack for the Warriors is 17. And so their expected win total is 66. Their upper end win total with a good defense is 85 which is pretty hysterical. Um, He says that the upper end and lower end happen only about 2.5% of the time. So we like to talk bell curve a lot. You can figure out a bell curve on these teams right now. And interestingly, according to Pac, he has the Jazz basically, I think, as a bell curve team at about 41, 42 wins as the middle of the bell curve. He has the Warriors somewhere around 63 to 66 as the middle of their bell curve uh, with an upper end of 85, which obviously is impossible. Um, I had this happen once with a model where the, where the, where the, uh, where the Lakers, after they got Pal Gasol for Kwame Brown, blew up my models. Uh, as well, so really, really interesting uh, and great work there uh, by Garrett Jensen. I really, I can't appreciate him enough. I think he'll be sending me more stuff on this. We'll continue to build on it uh, as Pac. Um, I sent a note to him that said, "I'm surprised how fast Pac starts to fade." He said, "I was a little surprised, but." The- I used the entire set. Using the whole set, I would guess the average rookie is about 22. So by five seasons, five or six, he's 27-ish, which is around peak pack season. It would be different if we looked at modern players who started a year too earlier. And then that's why he did the minimum 400 games. But that's still interesting that those players still faded at uh, five or six um, along the way. So uh, 
We'll keep an eye on this. He's going to take some time and do the rest of the Western Conference for us, so I'm going to try to help him with that a little bit, uh, and we'll keep an eye uh, on that along the way. I really uh, fabulous work by by Garrett Jensen on uh, on doing this, and I can't I can't appreciate it enough. Uh, huge action by the NBA uh, yesterday to pull the All Star game out of Charlotte. I thought well. There's two notes on it that I think are really are worth noting. Uh, one of which is uh, that the that Warriors CEO Rick Welts, who's the one uh, homosexual in management in the NBA or out homosexual in management homosexual, gave I guess a very stirring speech according to Rachel Nichols at um, at on the All Star game at the owners meeting and its impact. And it's it's one of those times where I think it's it's really important. This is people always ask about well what what really is the value of diversity in the workforce and anyone who asks the question I think that 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 leads to a problem in the first place but the second um, is I think this is a great example where as Stephen Covey wrote you have to understand the world through everybody's lenses and so what does it mean what does that the law in Charlotte mean to myself as a as a heterosexual who thinks they under, who cares about homosexual uh, rights and liberties and citizens liberties. What does it mean to me compared to what does it mean to someone like Rick Welts? I think that's a really important difference um, along the way. The other thing I do think gets really, really interesting is now where's the line? You know, simultaneously, the WNBA is fining its players for wearing shirts. Adam Silver has been very open about allowing his players to have social uh, commentary. Uh, it, it has clearly opened the door. Carmelo's holding meetings with players about such um, you know, uh, I don't think you're going to hear Steph Curry uh, very loudly on this Charlotte issue. He is, um, uh, due to some of his affiliations, I think I know where he feels on some of these things, and he's a huge spokesperson. What happens if he were to come out uh, right now very strongly against homosexual rights? How would Adam Silver feel about that? Um, I'm not saying he's going to, but I'm just wondering how how he would. Uh, so I think it's a very interesting road that we're heading down inside of the NBA of where are you going to allow this speech? Are there uh, sides? You can't have it be that certain sides of the issue are okay and other sides of the issue are not. Um, it seems to be that their, their, their phraseology is that they're all inclusive. Um, and I think, you know, um, that is – and it just – but that seems to be where they're really holding their ground. Uh, so I, I think this is it's – a, it's a very, very important day uh, in the sense that you have a professional sports organization that's taking a stand of that level and being that politically active. One, it's opening up seemingly for its players to be so as well uh, in a day and age where their voice can be uh, sent out quite easily. So I don't, I, it, it's worth watching. Um, you know, whether you think it's right or not is not what I'm addressing here. It is clearly an important day um, and a meaningful action by the NBA. And now the long-term impact of that, I think, um, will happen next. So those are my thoughts on the day. I hope you enjoy it. Lots of good stuff on the Lockdown Podcast Network. If you'd like to advertise on the program, email me at dlock09 at gmail.com and send me your pins across the world as well. This is Locked on Jazz, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.